Hello and welcome to another episode of the Detox Podcast, a parenting podcast where you can detox from the world around you and get a window into how other people live their lives. Come detox with detox. I'm your host, Joe Shaw, and we are back, baby. That's right. We are back. We were on a bit of a brief break as we re-geared and retooled for all of the great content and episodes you're going to have this year. And we're looking, we've got clear vision. It is 2020 after all, and I cannot wait for you to see what's on the horizon. Up first today, I speak to Scott Jeffrey Miller, or Scott Miller, who is the Executive Vice President of Thought Leadership and the Chief Marketing Officer at Franklin Covey. He has co-written a book called Everyone Deserves a Great Manager, The Six Critical Practices for Leading a Team, and has written Management Mess to Leadership Success, 30 Challenges to Become the Leader You Would Follow. Now, he has written additional books that are coming out, as well as other books that have already been released. But specifically, these two books, Everyone Deserves a Great Manager and Management Mess to Leadership Success, have really captured the business world for his specific approach to how to be a great manager, whether you are a manager of people, a manager of projects, or just managing yourself. There are a lot of tips and tricks and advice and perspective that Scott has built up over years of being a leader that he imparts into all of us. And so I think you're really going to enjoy it. But up first, I do want to take a moment to thank our sponsor for this episode of the podcast. It is Persona. Persona is your digital family room. Invite the people closest to you and share stories, advice, and memories to last a lifetime. Leave the politics and memes behind at Facebook. Come join a place focused on family and love at trypersona.com. That's try, P-E-R-S-O-N-A dot com. There is no Ask the Birth Guide this week because Brian is out of town, but we are going to be ramping those back up in the next several episodes as well. But I'll be right back with my conversation with Scott after this. Welcome back to the Detox Podcast. With me at this time is Mr. Scott Miller, the EVP of Thought Leadership, the Chief Marketing Officer at Franklin Covey. Scott, how are you doing today? I am great. Thank you for the invitation and for the platform. Of course. Now, I am really excited to dig into your both your perspective on management uh leadership style as well as your book's management mess to leadership success. Everyone deserves a great manager, but before we even get into that, one question I like to ask parents that come on, and specifically dads, is what do you think makes a good dad? Oh, wow. That's heavy, Joe. Out of the gate. <laughs> right. um, uh, I think a couple of things, right? I think being present. It, it's so difficult being a, you know, a, a dad of three boys. As you right. know, I have three sons with my wife, uh, five, nine, five, eight, and nine. And, uh, you know, I have a corporate career, you know, 60, 70 hours a week, right. my corporate job, plus, you know, all of my own writings and, and speaking and hosting podcasts and radio programs. So I am trying to really be present in small, important moments. Sure. Um, I think it's also important as a dad to make sure your boys crave your approval. I am really trying to enculturate in my son's that my wife's and my opinion of them matters the most. Mm, I like not the that. guy in the bus, not the kid in their class, 
not the snarky teenager on the tennis team, but right. dad and mom think about you matters the most. And I learned that from a parenting book. So I'm really focused on making sure they crave our approval, not anybody else's. I like that. And I think there's something to be said for that too, because I think you can get bogged down in seeking the approval of others. And I think that's where you can can really start to lose yourself. And, and it can even, you know, as we're talking about management as well, I think when you're thinking about your corporate career and how you want to structure your leadership style, whether you're a leadership of people or a leadership of projects or yourself, you know, it, I think having that foundation of of trying to ensure, like, whose approval am I seeking and what are they going to pour into me can really help shape your work ethic, your leadership style, and really uh, kind of dr- build the foundation for how the rest of your life is, is laid out. Oh, so well said. Nicely said. You want to have a podcast, right? right? <laughs> I'm thinking about it. I'm thinking about it. <laughs> yeah, nicely, nicely articulated. Now, I want to talk about uh, management mess to leadership success. Uh, before we even dive in, I've got several specific questions I want to ask because this book has actually been very impactful for me, both from a personal standpoint, from a work standpoint, and there's been a lot of really good material I've been getting out of it. But I want you to kind of walk me through what was the the origin, the genesis behind writing this book, and, and why was this the right style in which to write your uh, leadership style book? Well, so as you know, I am about a 30-year veteran of the professional development, corporate learning, leadership development industry, right? Four right. years at the Walt Disney Company and now 24 years with the Franklin Covey Company, of course, co-founded by Dr. Stephen R. Covey of the Seven Habits of Highly Effective People fame. So I right. spent my entire career uh, developing leaders, in fact, being a leader of people, Uh 15 years in sales and sales leadership, and then almost a decade as the chief marketing officer in the last almost two years as the EVP of thought leadership. So as I learned a lot of lessons, one of the big ones, Joe, was that not everyone should be a leader of people. Right. And it has made me a little bit unpopular, <laughs> even in my own company, because I do not believe everyone should be a leader of people. You know, I can buy into lead yourself, lead a project, but I think lots of times we promote, we lure people into leadership positions when we shouldn't, and they wreak havoc. They create carnage. Sure. They do damage yeah. on people. Not because they're bad people, but because their natural calling is not to lead people. Sure. And I could, I could riff on that for a long time. So the more I realized that my natural style is not to lead people, I think I became quite good at it You know, over 20 years and lots of damage. Uh, I realized that I wanted to create a bit of a pulpit to say leadership is not easy. It's not glamorous. It is not immediately rewarding, right? It is unrelenting. It's some people call it adult babysitting, right? I didn't say that, but some people call (laughs) it that, right? So I, I just wanted to write a book that was different than all the other leadership books out there that are very valuable, but they're usually written from an academic standpoint, they're written by professors or by, you know, Fortune 10 CEOs that are really hard to relate to. Right. I wrote a book called Management Mess to Leadership Success, which basically was a very vulnerable book that laid out a lot of my uproariously funny, but also horrifying mistakes to say, hey, man, ladies, listen from a guy who's dedicated his whole life to the art and science of leadership. And if you can learn from me, then my job has done. And the book exploded. Yeah. And it's in its second printing six months later. 
and the, the interviews and podcasts and keynotes have been uh, phenomenal. And I feel like I hit a nerve. And that nerve is, is that people want to relate to their leaders. Yes. They want to be able to have an open, comfortable conversation with their leader where they can talk about their own fears, their own passions, their own anxieties. Right. And I want to do the same. I want to be able to sit down with my leader and just like kind of let it rip, recognizing that, you know, he or she is my boss and I serve at their pleasure. But I think there is a wave in leadership to be more vulnerable, to own your mess. Because when you own your mess as a leader, as a parent, as a friend, as a daughter-in-law, as a neighbor, you make it safe for everyone else to own their mess as well. That's well said. And and I want to know, I want to backtrack just a little bit. And you, you, you spoke on something that, that, that really stood out to me where you said that oftentimes in the business and the corporate world, we really push for people to go after these leadership positions and we really make it a, a this is a logical next step in your career, in your career development. And, and to your point, not everybody is meant to be a leader of people. And I want to know, what do you feel has been the driving force behind corporations structuring career development in that way? And now as we're starting to see, I feel like with the uh, myself and the generation after me, you're really starting to see this shift of of leading yourself and then being a, a an exa- lead by example kind of a thing with others. But but backing up, why do you think it's historically been that way, and how have you seen the landscape start to change? Joe, I think a common issue in organizations is that we've built cultures, mm. and I'm not sure what the solution is, but I'm quite clear on the problem. And the problem is we've built too many organizations where if you want to get promoted earn more money, earn a title, move up on the proverbial corporate ladder, you got to lead people. Right. Therefore, we we promote individual producers that are quite content bringing their best in an individual role, and we lure them into these leadership of people roles. Mm-hmm. We take the most pleasant and efficient dental hygienist. We take the most creative digital designer. We take the highest producing salesperson and we promote them over their team. Right. And so usually people who are quite delighted at being a really competent, bring the magic, work their hearts out as an individual producer, we lure them in versus lead them in to these leadership roles and often they implode. I mean, take for a moment some of the characteristics of a great salesperson, of which I was one for a decade. Right. Great salespeople have usually a lot of personality, they're right brains, they have a lot of charisma, they like to compete, they like the competition, right? They want to see themselves on the scoreboard in the company, they want to win, right. they want to be top of the scoreboard, they like the spotlight, the limelight, the significance. Those are actually great characteristics for a salesperson. Joe, those are horrible characteristics <laughs> for a sales leader. Right. I mean, my two top strengths from Gallup Strengths Finder are in fact significance and competition. That does not set me up well to be a sales leader. No. So I think doesn't. part of the problem is we, we we lure these great individual producers to become leaders of teams and then they implode and they realize, oh my gosh, leadership isn't what I thought. Leadership is about having uncomfortably high courage conversations with people who used to be my friend and peer. Right. Leadership is about sitting people down and having 
diplomatic but straight talk conversations about their own blind spots or their productivity or their inability to collaborate. Leadership is about setting a standard on your own behavior and then having to model it day in and day out and have everybody watch you. I mean, leadership of people is really, really difficult. What happens is you get the best dental hygienist or the top accountant, and now she or he is leading a team, and they sit up at night throwing up or with their stomach in knots, having to come in and fire or terminate or put someone on a performance plan, and they hate their job, so they quit it. And now you've lost your leadership pipeline, and you've lost your top producing accountant, right. your best dental hygienist. So I think I think one of the solutions to answer your question is to every leader out there in HR, in human resources, people services, or line leaders, as you're thinking about recruiting the next top individual producer into leadership, have the courage. Show, show the gift to them of sitting them down and having a real conversation. This is what leadership is like. This is how much time it's going to take. This is what you're going to need to do differently. This is what it's going to actually be like. Sit them down and you know, create a T-chart. Joe, here are the seven things that you do really well. Mm-hmm. In fact, these are the things that got you this promotion. And Joe, tomorrow, you have to stop doing five of these. Like literally come to the office tomorrow and never do these things again. Wow. And then conversely, on this side of the T-chart, here's nine things that you actually – don't do that well right now. That's okay. We have faith in you, but you're going to learn to need to do these things. You're going to need to learn to do these things in the coming days and weeks and months. Had someone sat me down and told me, Scott, what got you here isn't going to take you and them there, I would have been a fundamentally different leader. Joe, I thought my job was to turn everybody else into my clone, right? right. I got promoted because I was going to get great results. So my job was to make everybody else like a little mini-me. Right. And of course, that's idiotic now. But honestly, back in my early 20s, I thought my job was to lower the boom and you know be strong and be right. confident and, and be a little bit tyrannical. And I tell you, I did some damage on people. And it wasn't until my, I'm perhaps embarrassed to admit, 40s and early 50s that I really learned what makes a great leader. Like everybody else, I fell into that trap. For the average age that people earn their first management position is age 30. And Joe, would you believe the science shows that the average age someone receives their first leadership development training is 42? Oh, my gosh. There's a, tw- there's a scientific 12 years of people making it up because they're not quite sure what to do. And it's why so many leaders flame out or do serious damage on the culture and the people in their stewardship. That's a really good point. And I think it, it, it really ties into, there's a section in your book. Um, you've got uh, your book, Management, Mess to Leadership Success. Yes. You've got it broken into three parts, lead yourself, lead others, and get results. And in your part three, get results, you've got your, your section, and I'm pulling the exact chapter here, but it's talking about where you've got to ensure your system supports your mission. And I think it goes right back to what you're talking about with regards to, are you promoting the right people or are the people that you have functioning so well because of the skills that they're bringing to those specific roles and really stepping back and looking from a big picture it's challenge 25 for those that are following along ensure your systems supports ensure your systems support your mission and really taking a big picture look and saying if is my team functioning 
at an optimum level? If it is, why is that? And from within this, what are the skills needed to be a leader? Where do I see that today? And how can I execute and highlight and promote in the most effective way? And I think to your point, not enough people do that. They look at the top individual contributors and say, these are the ones that are needed for the next step. And, and even you mentioned the strength finders. And one of the things I took away from when I took strength finders a, a while ago was to spend less time on your weaknesses because you can only improve those so much. So I want to say to you, having been a, having come into management and leadership, you are an effective leader today, but how did you work through your weaknesses to be able to, in your point, ensure your system supports your missions like you referenced in the book? Well, I mean, I've been the benefit. I've been the recipient of just some phenomenal leaders. Like sure. People who, people who believed in me more often than I believed in myself that had the courage that had the, had the uh, intent to invest in me and sat me down and had very courageous conversations. I share some of them in the book, right? I had a leader named Bill Bennett who sat me down once and said, Scott, you're standing at a gas station and you're holding a match. Right. And he was referring to my kind of gossiping ways and not holding confidences and not really living up to the, the, um, the maturity of a leader. So again, I have had the benefit of a lot of leaders talk to me about my blind spots mm-hmm. and as a result, building my self-awareness right. and realizing that, you know, becoming an effective leader, becoming a leadership success is less about your technical skills. It's more about declaring your intent, slowing down, being a good listener, delivering on your commitments, not over-promising, and taking responsibility not just for the problem, but also for the solution. In this chapter, chapter 25, I talk about how there's kind of two, two kinds of people. I talk about how there are problem identifiers and solution providers. Right. There might have been a different chapter, but I'm pretty passionate around, you know, I, I have a whole litany of scenarios, Joe, where I've gone in all, you know, guns ablaze and ready to take down some system in a different part of the company. But because I was so immature and so impulsive and so impetuous, I didn't assume good intent. Right. I didn't go into it assuming that smart people created the system. I just went in to go fix them. And then when I finally was either humbled or shut up and listened, I realized, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> I said that phrase way too many times in my career, right? Sitting there realizing, oh, I didn't have the full picture. Right. So, so I think part of that chapter is about, you know, making sure that your systems do align with your mission and that they're evolving, they're maturing, and that most systems and companies were created with good intent by smart people. And that perhaps you can help continue to realign them. But generally the principle of, you know, clean up your own backyard before you clean up someone's down the division will save you a lot of embarrassment when you're humble. Absolutely. And I think there, I mean, we're, I'm going to be jumping around quite a bit because there's so many good lessons in this book. And of course, we're going to put the the link to purchase management mess to leadership success within the show notes as well. So if you're listening right now, you want to scroll down, click on it. It's great. But one of the things that stood out to me and to your point about having you having good leaders that sat you down and pointed out your blind spots and pointed out, you know, you're, you're at a gas station with a match and, and referring to your gossipy ways in that type of situation. And you've got the chapter about carry your own weather, right? It's challenge six, chapter six in the book. 
and it's how are you as a leader going to respond when things essentially blow up? Are you going to be proactive? Are you going to work to find the solution and be the anchor that your team needs? Or are you going to react emotionally and bring everybody down? And and as a leader, I mean, as individuals, when you come to the company, you have that power, right? But as leaders, uh, individual contributors or associates are looking to you, the leader, to carry your own weather and set the precedent and the tone for how we're going to approach a specific situation. Can you talk me through one of the most maybe more challenging moments where you really had to fight through that emotional aspect and and be the the rock and the anchor for your team that was looking up to you? You mean today or yesterday? Right. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever is top I mean, of mind. <laughs> Yeah, really. Or last week or next week. You know, right. I think, yeah, I, I would I would tell you, Joe, I think in my experience, and I think on this topic, I'll tell you, I think I have some credibility. I think one of the three top leadership competencies, I think the first leadership company competency is uh, recruiting and retaining quality people. Right. I think the next competency is the ability to have high courage conversations and move outside your comfort zone and give people feedback on their blind spots. I think the third biggest leadership competency is regulating your emotions. Mm. And, and it's something that you learn over time, right? I am a very passionate person. I speak loud. I'm nearly in, indefatigable on my energy, although it can fatigue other people, clearly. <laughs> um, I, I'm, not a, I'm not a screamer. I'm not a fist pounder. I tend to have a very high passionate level. But I have to also be very deliberate that my passion doesn't come out as anger or as berating people or being a bully, because I do have a very domineering personality, have for, you know, majority of my life. So I have to be deliberate about regulating my emotions and making certain that team members know when I am passionate and when I am up for an argument for debate's sake versus I have to win this. Right? I, I like to debate things to get the best idea out. Sometimes that's known as best idea wins as long as it's Scott's. Right. So I have learned over time to uh, to really value not losing my passion or my personality because that's those are two of my biggest strengths, but making sure that I am not highly reactive, that I make it safe for people to deliver news, good or bad to me. Because I'll tell you, if you're a leader and people are lying to you, not lying like, you know, like unethical lying, but, you know, not telling you bad news, right. not telling you what the forecast is wrong or not. You know, if people are lying to you, that's your fault. Mm. That's not their fault. Because as a leader, you've not created the conditions for other people to share bad news. I have a mantra in my team. Wrong news is unacceptable. Wrong news means you're making it up, you're phoning it in, or you're not prepared. Mm, Bad like news, totally acceptable. My job as a leader is to deliver, is to receive bad news all day long. And my job is to deal with it in a calm and rational way. And part of my job as a leader is to create the conditions, to create the culture where it is safe to walk into me and say, Scott, Remember that $200,000 deal I was going to close today? It's dead. But you know what? You got to tell me today. Don't hold it three weeks from now because the longer you delay the, the news, 
the less options I have to make it up somewhere else, right? Or whatever that, you know, right. metaphor equivalent is. So this idea of carrying your own weather is you, as a leader, you are the linchpin of your culture, and you set the conditions on how everybody communicates, trusts, collaborates. So you've got to be able to regulate your emotions and make it safe for others to come and tell you their truth. I like it. One of the one of the last things that I uh, really stood out to me in Management Mess, it's uh, Challenge 19 or Chapter 19, Protect Your Team Against Urgencies. And what really resonated with me was your your reference on how many times do we as leaders pull together the entire team for a huddle or a team meeting and we praise somebody's individual contributions because they put out a fire, right? We're, we're really quick to say a fire happen. This person worked all night, closed the deal, delivered, whatever, you know, here's a a $50 gift card. Have, have a good time. Like, and, and, you know, and you point out like how many times do we win a big client? We need to staff for it. We don't staff for it. We're asking people to do double and triple duty and, oh, here's dinner on us for six months down the line when you can actually go eat dinner, assuming you haven't quit. Right. And so it's, it's, it's recognizing that, there are urgencies that happen every single day, but as a leader, figuring out how to cope with the urgencies, protect your team against the urgencies, and also be able to highlight and praise those that are keeping things at a at a base level. So these so these urgencies that maybe can be avoided are avoided and people aren't having to pull double and triple duty to to cover it. So I want you to kind of walk me through what are some of the ways that you uh, early on recognized that you needed to protect your team against these urgencies? Joe, great questions. You picked some of my favorite challenges. <laughs> I, I want to honor you for being one of the few podcast hosts that actually read the book. Right. And it's obvious in your understanding of the concept. So thank you for honoring me and for giving a great service to your listeners. Of course. A couple of things. Uh, first is, I love a good crisis. <laughs> And if one doesn't exist, oh, I'll cook one up <laughs> because I feel I feel especially validated in the moment of crisis. I'm a great firefighter. I the adrenaline. I do my best work in times of urgency. You hear that a lot, but it's true. I do. I mean, I you know I I have an ink column and weekly, and sometimes my best columns are written in 35 minutes when I might have spent seven hours on another column. I actually do my best work under enormous pressure. I love urgencies. Yeah. I have an urgent personality. You can tell it. <laughs> and that has served me well much of my life. Problem, of course, is everything in your life is an urgency. Grocery shopping, getting gas, dinner with your friends, ice cream with your children. Everything I do has to be done really quick. I pack a lot in, but you know what? No one has ever asked me to give the eulogy at their funeral because I don't, I'm not a calm person, right? <laughs> right. Um, building on fire? Oh, I'll rescue you. You'll get out alive. You might have, you know, you might need therapy, but I'll get you out. And I, I share all of that because I think there's a huge downside for that. Leaders like me that are urgency addicted are usually very insecure about their own talents, mm. like me, like me, that they confuse activity for productivity. I like that. They need to have people see them being very busy and very harried because we feel insecure about our contribution. 
about our skills, about our competencies. And I say we, meaning me as well. I have been the poster child for being fairly insecure about my skills when in fact, you know what, I think I actually have some quite genius talents in me. But for whatever reason, blame on my parents who I love, I am this very insecure person. So I am well known for creating what is an urgency addicted culture on my team. And because I'm so into pleasing my boss, the CEO, I take on more projects and more projects and more projects and I bring them on the team and now they're all in, in, in urgency addicted mode and they're running around with chickens and their head cut off. And for some time, that can create an adrenaline rush. Right. right? Kind of that proverbial dopamine squirt from the brain. Quite frankly, people can't survive that long team, that long term rather. So the first piece of advice I would say to anybody who has resonated with my confessions just now, if you are an urgency addicted leader, you may need to protect your team from yourself. And I want that to sit there for a moment because here's what happens, Joe, is people like me that are urgency addicted, we thrive in organizations with misaligned and corrupt systems. We thrive in companies where there aren't clear processes and there isn't clear communication. We look heroic because we're always saving the day, which means we always have to work in a company with a chaotic culture. Mm. Because you know what, Joe? Companies that are well-disciplined and well-oiled, they don't need us. Yeah. You know why? Because there's no crisis. And I, and I mean for that hopefully to be insightful, but a little bit heavy. So I would say to your leaders that can that those who resonate with what I've said, be thoughtful around don't use don't use the adage like I just did of well, I do my best work in urgency, but you know what? Everyone working for you, that may not be their style. That may not be how they thrive. So be really mindful about your work style may be imposed on them because of your positional power because of the culture you've enforced or the fear you've created. Be really mindful and self-aware and consider moderating your style. Why are you so addicted to this urgency style? And what is it doing to the, the, the balance, the burnout, the attitudes of your people? People will quit an urgency addicted leader or a culture eventually. That's a really insightful point because I think it, speaks to the need uh, how do I want to phrase this it really speaks to the fact that you do see a lot of people kind of function in 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 one like individuals can function and thrive in one of those two settings either that chaotic urgent nature or a more well aligned oiled system and and you are correct in that those two types of people don't cross over often and if they do typically they will crash and burn in one or the other yeah and my and my, and my comment was less of a criticism and more just kind of a call to self-awareness right, right? I, I right. think again you know I, i'm 51 years old you know i was up at four o'clock this morning you know writing a manuscript you're my fourth podcast for the right. day i've had you know seven meetings and i have three boys and i mean you know all kinds of things happen today i get a lot done i have to be mindful about not transferring all of that onto everyone around me because you know I'm 51 I'm not going to fundamentally change 
my personality. Right. I every day try to build my self awareness and and uh, and recognize the positive and negative impact that my style has on people. But as I have matured and I'm still maturing, I'm very deliberate around making sure the team that I lead knows when should they involve me and when should they not. In fact, now most staff meetings, the team invites me to the last half. <laughs> and I'm fine with that because you know what? I, I might very well get them distracted, right? Or think of 10 new ideas or you know, think of some genius thing that we have to do. Right. It's not helpful for them. And because I've become more secure in my contribution, I'm very comfortable having the team that I lead have their weekly staff meeting, one half without me, one half with me. I like that. That's awesome. It's extremely insightful. And before we wrap up and and in this, I do want to pull out one one section from your book, Everyone Deserves a Great Manager, that really spoke to me. And it was around the skill. So, so for those listening, let me set this up for a second. The Everyone Deserves a Great Manager, that's a book that you wrote with Todd Davis and Victoria Roos Olson. And it was set up for the six critical practices for leading the team. So you've got six different practices and a conclusion. And I'm speaking from practice number four, which is create a culture of feedback. And so I want to talk about the fact that you it you do a really good job in structuring for why it's a good idea to consistently ask for feedback and create a culture of feedback. You talk about it creates a, a many good reasons to eagerly solicit feedback from your team as a as a manager as a leader because if you're eagerly and actively seeking feedback from your team, you're now creating a thriving feedback culture where as you ask it, people are giving it, and then people are more willing to give it amongst themselves and start developing on a personal level. And and then leads into the next point, helps you grow personally. You're now becoming more self-aware. You're now understanding maybe you are someone that is having urgencies bleed onto your team and you need to be aware and kind of work on that on your own. It models for your team how to accept feedback and it helps your team feel heard and respected. Now, those last two points resonated with me a lot because I do think and I'll speak from experience starting out in the corporate world uh, eight over eight, nine years ago, feedback was consistently framed to me as a, as a negative thing, right? So it was, it was, and I'll, I'll give an example of, hey, I've got some praise for you and hey, I've got some feedback for you. And so just hearing the word feedback is something where it can trigger this negative like, oh no, is this, is this bad? Is this negative? What, 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 what did I do? And I think by, by retaking the word, so to speak, and framing it into a feedback is a way in which to help you grow professionally and personally, good and bad. And this is how we're going to be able to give it on the go and on the daily. So now we're not waiting six weeks for a check-in to tell you. We're now giving it on a daily, minute, hourly basis, and we're all growing and learning so we can thrive. And so I really want to hear from your perspective, how were you able to work on creating that culture of feedback for your group? And what were some of the growing pains when you were first starting out, even before you became a manager, and then maybe afterwards as well? I will tell you unabashedly, the greatest gift a leader can give their team members is insight on their blind spots. Mm. I mentioned this earlier. If you are a leader of people and you do not have the courage to move outside of your comfort zone 
and discuss the undiscussables in real time, resign. You do not deserve to be in the position you have. Now, I don't expect you tomorrow to wake up and start having these you know, um, otherworldly, courageous conversations and battles with diplomacy. It's a skill. It's an art. You learn it over time. You screw it up a lot. There's a reason, Joe, why my human resource file is a expandable folder. <laughs> I mean, I made, I did a lot of, you know, I made a lot of bad, not bad decisions. I just said things that were dumb or insensitive. You know, I learned. It comes with reps. But I, but I want this to be way heavy on your listeners. This is the greatest contribution you will make to your team members. In 10 years, no one, no one will remember if you made your second quarter EBITDA or if your annual cost of goods was up or down by 1%. Now, those are conditions to keep your job. But everyone will remember. Each person will remember if you had the courage and the consideration, the diplomacy to sit someone down and say, hey, Joe, I'd like to have a high courage conversation with you about some things that I see that are really tripping up your ability to build your career here. My intent is to really help you. But I'm noticing, Joe, that like me in the summertime, you might be breaking through your antiperspirant. And before anybody were to notice that and you were to have any embarrassment, I want you to know I care about you and your brand. So I'm bringing this to your attention. You might want to change your deodorant. Or Joe, you get the point, right? Or right. Joe, I noticed that in meetings, you make a lot of declarative statements and you may not notice this, but it's really shutting people down. Has anybody told you this before me? And have you noticed that yourself? You get the point is these high courage conversations that happen in feedback, by the way, they can be both redirecting and reinforcing, right? Reinforcing positive behaviors, but also redirecting well, negative behaviors or self-defeating behaviors. And I think they have to happen in real time. They don't happen once a quarter or once a year at the annual performance appraisal. If you truly love your people, if you truly want them to succeed and you want to grow their 401ks, if you want to help them send their kids to college, if you want to build in them their own confidence and their own um, lessen their own insecurities, if your intent is good, then you will sit down and have these conversations. Now, some of them need to be in private. Some of them need to be sitting on the same side of the table. Some of them need to be via email because everybody's a bit different, right? Some people don't mind being called out in a team meeting, right? The CEO can call me out all day long. Use me as an example, no problem, right? My private victory, my self-esteem, my self-worth is not dependent on my title anymore. Right. It wasn't always that way. Right. But I think, but I think to your point, this idea of providing feedback is such an invaluable gift to your people. And you know what? If you're nervous, it's okay. Go role play it with HR. Go role play it with a, with a senior leader. And then sit someone down and say, hey, Joe, I brought you in today to discuss something that is, you know, of considerable impact to your career here. I have to tell you, I'm a bit nervous. My intent is to help you. Really, my intent is to help your career. And if I use some of the wrong words, you know what? 
forgive me. I might ask for a do-over, but I really want to talk to you about some things that I'm seeing that I'm not sure you see, that if I don't talk to you about, I worry that they might become lifelong habits, and I don't want you to have this same problem haunt you wherever you work. We have that conversation. I mean, I don't know that leaders declare their intent and show their own vulnerability. Don't, don't come in from a position of power and seem cold and seem rehearsed. Just have a conversation. Now, yeah. I recognize that not every culture has that level of trust. Not everybody has that level of, you know, respect and earned, you know, right to lower your barriers. There, some people have litigious cultures. I get it. I'm not naive to that. But you know what? Nine times out of ten, if someone feels that your intent is genuinely to help them, they're going to receive it really well. And I tell you, the question I'm asked most on this is, how, as a leader, how do you get people to receive feedback? And I say, you know what? you got to model it. Hmm. you got to show that you are willing to receive feedback. you got to show that you crave it, that you solicit it, that when you do get feedback, that you don't deflect it, you don't run from it, you don't dispute it, you don't deny it. You listen, you write it down, you ask some clarifying questions, and then you decide, are you going to integrate that, that feedback into your life or not? Best way to get other people to receive feedback is to have them watch you receive it. That's great. Now, right before we go into the final segment of the episode, I want to ask you one final question. And that's, Scott, if there is one last piece of advice or mantra or something we haven't touched on that is of, of note to you that you would like to share with the listeners, um, what would it be? It's the advice that Dr. Covey gave me. You know, Dr. Covey passed seven and a half years ago as the result of some injuries in a bicycle accident. Mm. And prior to his passing, he, he, he just drilled into me the difference between having an efficient mindset and having an effective mindset. He wrote the book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, not the book, The Seven Habits of Highly Efficient People. And this was a massive mindset shift for me, Joe. I have been, as I've told you, a very efficient person all my life. Right. I'm the kind of guy that gets up at 5 o'clock, actually gets up at 4 o'clock, goes to Dunkin' Donuts, gets a cup of coffee. I'm at Home Depot before it opens. By 5.20, the marigolds are loaded in my SUV. By 6.20, they're planted. By 7.20, the car is washed. And 8.20, I'm on the tennis court. <laughs> on and on and on, day after day, that is my life. And it's worked very well in certain areas of my life. The problem, Joe, is I am efficient in every area of my life, including my relationships. Hmm. And you cannot be efficient with people. To quote Dr. Covey, he said, with people, fast is slow, and slow is fast. So my best advice to everyone listening, whether you are a, or a colleague, you're a formal leader of people, you're on a committee, you're a parent, you're a friend, you're an in-law, slow down. Take time in your relationships. Someone comes into your office, close your laptop, take off your glasses, turn over your phone. Because in every organization, people are not your most valuable asset. That's bunk. What is every organization's most valuable asset, Joe, are the relationships between your people. Because Joe can be a Rhodes Scholar. Scott can have 
a master black belt Six Sigma license. But if Joe and Scott can't get along, can't defuse conflict, can't forgive each other, can't pre-forgive each other, if we can't leverage each other's talents and skills, the company doesn't need us. Hmm. So I'd, I'd offer to people, whenever you are in a situation of any kind, ask yourself, am I being efficient or am I being effective? It's fine to be efficient when you're mowing your lawn, when you're texting someone, or in some conversations or some meetings, but 90 plus percent of all human interaction needs to be done with an effective mindset, not an efficient mindset. I love it. Thank you so much, Scott. And now we are going to move into my favorite segment of the week. It is the dad joke of the week, a segment where I hurl dad jokes at my unsuspecting guests to try and get them to laugh while the audience groans. That I can't hear my audience. I can only hear my guest. But before I start off, I always like to put my guest on the spot. Scott, do you have any dad jokes you would like to offer up? I don't have any jokes. I, <laughs> I, I'm kind of not a jokester. I've got <laughs> racy stories and tons of mistakes, but I feel bad. You gave me no prep for this. I know. Um, that was intentional. I'll probably laugh. I'll laugh at all your jokes because right. I got none of my own. All right. Fair enough. All right. Let me go ahead and pull up the first one. All right. I need some jokes. All right. All right. Well, Scott, uh, why did the can crusher quit his job? Because it was because, because it was soda pressing. It was soda pressing. Soda <laughs> pressing. Right. Right. Uh, yeah, uh, I, Scott. I did want to let you know real quick uh, that I used to be a banker, but I lost interest. I lost <laughs> interest. All right. And I got one last that was one. Lame. That oh, was yeah. lame. Oh yeah, it was pretty bad. All right. <laughs> I didn't say they were good jokes. <laughs> All right. Uh, I got one last one. It's a little bit of a story. <clears throat> but I wanted to tell you about my friend Sam. Um, and Sam, he walks into his boss's office the other day and he says, Sir, I'll be straight with you. I know the economy isn't great, but I have over three companies after me and I would like to respectfully ask for a raise. And after a few minutes of haggling, the boss finally agrees to a 5% raise. Sam happily gets up to leave. And his boss says, Oh, by the way, uh, which three companies are after you? And Sam says, well, sir, uh, the electric company, the water company, and the phone company. I was going to say Visa, American <laughs> right. Express, and Discover. Card. Right. <laughs> exactly. Because well, I do think my American Express bill might be overdue this month. Right. <laughs> well, Scott, I want to know if people want to follow you and see what you're up to, what's the best way for them to do that? Hey, Joe, thanks for asking. My wife says, and not in a flattering way, it's hard not to find me these days. I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, uh, Instagram, Facebook. I'd love to have people follow me on uh, LinkedIn. You can visit managementmess.com and you also can subscribe to my podcast by visiting franklincovey.com as well. Joe, thank you for the time and the great conversation today. Thank you for honoring me and honoring your listeners by being so well prepared. I tell you, I've done 150 podcasts and you are at the top in terms of articulation but also preparation thank you for that of course thank you so much it's been an honor and we do need a hashtag before i let you go should we go with hashtag management mess how about a hashtag own your mess there it is hashtag own your mess well listeners come back next week where we'll have another great conversation but until next time hashtag own your mess and hashtag be a better dad. If you know of an interesting person or story that needs to be told, please reach out to me at detoxpodcast at gmail.com. That's D-T-A-L-K-S podcast at gmail.com. You can also reach out via Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at detoxpodcast or visit detoxpodcast.com. 
Also, be sure to leave us a five-star rating on iTunes if you like the show. It only takes a few seconds and it really helps us out. Link is in the show notes. Finally, thanks for listening. Please come back next week when we'll have another interesting conversation. And special thanks to my producers, Ben Lawant and Galan Aldaco. Without your help and support, this show wouldn't be possible. Thanks so much, guys. Detox is a production of Vocal. For more information and more programming, please visit vocalnow.com. That's V-O-K-A-L-N-O-W dot com.